Good morning. Let me walk you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. Again, uh, today is a very special day in kind of a couple of different ways. One of the things we want to highlight is something that happens this afternoon. It's a kind of a yearly event. We call it Scoopalicious. It happens at the Jimmy Floyd Center. Happens at 5.30. That's kind of our homemade making, ice cream making contest. And again, the gloves come off. Everybody gets, you know, kind of jiggy with it. And, and everybody has a really good time. So again, just a reminder, 5.30 to 7 at the Jimmy Floyd Center. And again, we understand that everybody doesn't make homemade ice cream or doesn't have the capacity to do it, or maybe that's not your spiritual gift. So if that's not the case, you can bring cookies or cake or pies, whatever you do well. Bring that with you. Bring your towels, bring your family, bring your friends, uh, and we'll see you at 5.30. If you're bringing ice cream, just make sure and pack it where it will stay frozen, and we'll start the competition at about 5.45. Be there by 5.45. And we should start eating about 6, and we'll leave about 7. So, again, uh, it's enough time for you to have a good time. So bring some people with you, and we will see you later this afternoon. You know, I, I was thinking, let me, let me just ask you as I get started this morning, where, where have you placed your dreams? I mean, where have you placed your hope? All of us have a place where we've placed our hopes. All, we, we, we placed our dreams. We, we, we have a place where we have put or place the things that we're longing for. And again, one of the things that you think about as a human being is that we're just what, what, kind of what I call irrepressible hopers. I mean, we, you just can't keep us from hoping. I mean, we're just hoping for the best. You can't restrain us. We, we just always are hoping for the best. We, we want more because, again, when you think about hope, uh, hope is the reason why a high school student graduates and they want to go to college because they hope to make something better out of their life. Hope is the reason why a real estate investor purchases a property hoping that it will increase in value and it'll make them a lot of money. I mean, hope is why some of you go to Planet Fitness because you hope that you can do something with that body. Can I get an amen? I mean, because, I mean, that, that's just the way we are. We are irrepressible hopers. So today I want to switch gears from where we've been the last couple of weeks and kind of go in a different direction over the next few weeks. And, and again, I just want to ask you that question very simplified. Where have you placed your hope? Where have you put it? What have you put your hope in? Where have you put the things that you're dreaming for? Where, where have you put the things that you're longing for? And I guess what I'm really asking is, have you put your hope in the right place? Have you put your hope in the right box? You know, if, if you were a kid, uh, you probably remember your mom or your grandparents or somebody giving you one of these. It's a piggy bank. And, and let me tell you, I know they come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, you've got, you know, predator piggy banks. You've got, you know, Wilson Bank, you know, piggy banks. We all have piggy banks. But one of the things about a piggy bank is that a piggy bank, even as a child, becomes addicting. And you know why it becomes addicting? It's the sound of money. And you get addicted to that sound. And that's the very place that some of you have put your hope. You put your hope in finances. You put your hope in money. You put, you put your hope in finances. And, and, and again, uh, you thought to yourself, you know, if I can just have more and save more and work more, then, then one day I'm going to grow up and, and, and there's going to be a time in my life where I can look at myself and I can say, I'm financially secure. And when I'm financially secure, I don't have to worry. But here's the thing. Do you realize right now that some of you have more than you have ever had? And even with all that you have, you feel empty. You're fighting more. You're drinking more. And you wonder, did I put my hope in the right box? Do you remember the time you came home with 
one of these. Or, or maybe it was one of these. You hung that on the wall. You put that on the shelf and everybody that came in your room could see it. And, and, and because you had done so well in a sport or in some achievement, you said, you know what? That's where I'm going to put my hope. I, I, I'm going to put my hope in achievement. And you went after the dream. You got the education, you got the position, and you went out and you climbed the ladder of success. And now people look at you, and you know what they call you in this culture? They call you an overachiever because you're the kind of person that can get things done. But there's still that hole inside of you. And you wonder, did I put my hope in the right place? Did I put my hope in the right box? Or maybe you put your hope in relationships. You remember that? You remember the first time you experienced love? Do you remember the first time somebody paid attention to you? Do you remember the first time that somebody said, you know, they want to spend time with you? It just melted you. And you thought, that's, that, that's where I want to put my hope. I want to put my hope in relationships. So you went out on a search looking for the perfect relationship. And that's where you put your hope. And that's the box that you put your hope in. You put your hope in the box of relationships. But then you found out that you put your hope in the wrong right person. And now time has gone by. And you know what you've done? You've been through three or four wrong right people. Maybe you've been through three or four marriages. And maybe you came to Crossroads this morning wondering, did I put my hope in the right box? So here's the question again. Where have you placed your hope? Where are you placing your hope? This morning we're going to go to the book of Luke which is actually the third book in the New Testament. And it's really interesting because there's a story there that I want to highlight. Uh, it, it actually happened the Sunday following the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Two of his friends, two of his disciples, actually find themselves, like many of us, they find them in, themselves in a place where they're losing hope. And maybe they're wondering, like some of you, did I place my hope in the wrong box. And the reason they would think that is because the circumstances in their lives at that, at that time, they didn't go the way that they thought they would. So it begs another question, what do you do? What do you do when your life doesn't go the way that you planned? Now, as we come to Luke 24, two of his disciples are walking down a road and, and, and this walk actually occurs uh, on what I say, or this walk actually is what I say, is the most important walk in all of Scripture. You're going to find it in chapter 24, verse 13. And again, we're, we're trying to cripple along here. I hope next week that everything will be operational. That's my plan. But we won't have the, 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 the Scripture on the screen this morning. But let me just read it to you, and you can just follow along with me. We're in Luke chapter 24, verse 13, and here's what it says. It says, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. 
So the, these two disciples, these two followers of Jesus are, are walking seven miles. And it really begs you to ask the question, how long does it take you to walk seven miles? Now, here's the thing. I can tell you exactly how long it takes to walk seven miles because every morning, if you pass my house, most days, you're going to see me walking up and down my driveway because every day I try to walk a minimum of five miles and I usually walk seven miles. I'll tell you how long it takes to walk seven miles. It takes two hours because the average human being can walk three and a half miles in an hour. So it tells us on this day that the two of them are walking seven miles toward a village called Emmaus. Two hours is what it takes. Verse 14 says, they were talking with each other about everything. Now that, that key word, that, that, that word is important. They're talking about everything that happened. Now, here's what's going to happen. In just a few minutes, we're going to learn that one of these two people, one of these two followers of Jesus, one of the disciples, is actually a guy by the name of Cleopas. We don't know the other name, but I have to tell you that the more I thought about this, I had to believe that it's a woman because it said they talked about everything. If it had been a man, we would have just talked about the subject at hand and stopped talking. Amen? But it says they talked about everything. But then something happens. Interesting. Look at verse 15. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, they're walking along on the road to Emmaus. They're despondent over the death of Jesus, the death and the burial of Jesus. Hope is lost. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes with them or to them or behind them, and he interjects himself into the conversation. And they have no idea who he is. Now, here, here's the thing I want you to hear me say. I'm a Star Wars fan. I have to kind of wonder, was Jesus doing the Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of thing? You know, with the hood over, the hands folded, and, and you really couldn't see who he was. Because these two guys don't recognize him at all. They're face to face with the very person that they're talking about. And they have no idea that this is Jesus who has joined them on this road to Emmaus. Two despondent, two discouraged disciples. On this seven-mile walk, two of his followers who had left everything to follow him. They put their hope in Jesus in that box. And now he's dead and buried and gone. It's over. See, they thought that Jesus was going to be the one to free them from that Roman oppression. They were sick of seeing the Romans on the streets. They were sick of them, the taxes. And they were looking forward to the freedom that they thought Jesus was going to bring to them. I mean, Jesus, think, think about it this morning, this young, supernatural, wise, smart, articulate leader. He was the one that was going to free them from all the things that they had been dealing with. So Jesus, who's with them, who they don't recognize, interjects himself into the conversation. And here's how it goes. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along this road? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, I told you, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened in Jerusalem these last few days? 
What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Now look at verse 21 of chapter 24. This is what one of the followers of Jesus says. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's now the third day since all this took place. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. In other words, we put our hope in this box. In this box that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. Now think about those four words, but we had hoped. Because you know what I can tell you this morning without any shadow of a doubt? Every one of you in this room and every one of you joining us online has started a sentence in your life with those four words. But we had hoped. But we had hoped that nobody in our family would ever have cancer again. But we had hoped this was going to be the dream job. But we had hoped that the marriage was going to last. But we had hoped that our, our son or our daughter was finally going to get it together. But we had hoped that we would be able to have a child by now. But we had hoped that we would be able to have a, another child by now. But we had hoped that we would, would be able to hold on to our business or to hold on to our house for another year. But now we wonder, did we put our hope in the wrong place? Did we put our hope in the wrong box? I mean, these guys are just being transparent with Jesus. They don't know it's Jesus. These guys are devastated. They think that Jesus is dead and still in the tomb. So how does Jesus respond to them? Oh, sorry about your luck. I mean, I hate it for you. Guys, I feel bad, so bad. I feel your pain. Man, that's, re that's really a bummer. No, that's not his response. Look at verse 25. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then it says, beginning in verse 27, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, that being Jesus, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now, while they are on this seven-mile walk, Jesus starts to teach his two followers. So how long did he have to teach them? Two hours. Buckle up, buttercup. Jesus said to president, I think that means that I need two hours to teach you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Here's the deal. We don't know everything that Jesus taught during this walk. But the thing that we do know is that it was all about him. Starting with Moses and the prophets, Jesus talked about the Messiah. And then they arrived at their destination. They arrived at Emmaus. And in verse 30, here's what it says. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. Verse 
And they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And the next few verses after these verses that we just read talk about how these two disciples, they ran all the way back to Jerusalem. And they gathered the rest of the disciples and they said, guys, Jesus is alive. We know it. We walked with him for seven miles. We broke bread with him. We know that he's alive because we've seen him. And that is the reason why I say it's the most amazing walk in all of Scripture. So again, let me tell you something this morning that I know without a doubt. You see, the thing that I know this morning without a doubt is that all of us are walking down a road. All of us in this room, all of you listening online, all of you watching online, all of us are walking down a road, some road. And you know what? That road that you're walking may be right like the road that I'm walking. It may be rough and it may be rocky. And it, and it may be just as tough as that seven-mile road that those guys walked to Emmaus. The road you're walking, it may be a painful walk. Because on that road, you know what you're experiencing? You're experiencing suffering and disappointment and brokenness. And you know this morning when you walk the road that you're walking... I think there's two ways that you can look at that road. You can look at the road behind you. You can look at the circumstances that you came out of. You can look at the pain that you've had to go through. You can look behind you at all the difficulty that you've had to deal with. Or on the other hand, you can look at the circumstances in front of you. And that's what some of you are doing. Some of you are looking at the difficult circumstances in front of you. And all the things that you're going to have to confront on that road that lies in front of you. Let, let, let's think about the road behind us. Let me ask you a question. What do you see when you look in the mirror these days? What do you see when you look in the mirror these days? What about that person? What about that person that's looking back at you? See, I think that's part of the reason why the disciples are so down. Because they left Jerusalem and they felt like failures. So they're on this road, and as they're on this road to Emmaus, they just look at their lives and they realize that they're full of regret. And they realize that, you know, when the tough got going and Jesus needed them the most, they, they weren't there for him. They ran. When Jesus needed those two disciples the most, they bailed on him. And they're looking in the mirror and they're saying, can you believe how easy it was for us to just cave in? Can you believe how easy it was for us to give up? And see, here's the problem. If you're like me, when you look in the mirror, you know what you see? You see something from your past. And you allow that thing from your past to define you. You feel defined by your mistakes. 
You feel defined by those events that have happened to you in your life. Friends, let me just tell you something. If I was defined by the events of my past, I would not be on this stage. We've all got a past. What do you see when you look in the mirror? What is your identity? When you look in the mirror, how do you see yourself? See, for some of us, we grew up in homes where we were devalued. The words that were said to us, about us, those are the words that wrecked us. They, they wrecked our identity. Some of you grew up in homes where you were abused verbally, emotionally, or physically. Some of you were abused sexually in some unspeakable way. And you carry that shame with you. Things that have happened to you in your past. Things that were done to you. And let me tell you, some of you carry shame because you have done things to other people. You know, sometimes life doesn't turn out the way that we planned. But here's something else I want you to think about. Sometimes we don't turn out the way that we planned. I want you to look at a verse this morning. As a matter of fact, if I could put this on the screen, I would get us to read it together, but I'm just going to read it to you. It's 1 Peter 1, verse 3. It says, In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to look at the very first part of this verse. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. I, I really want you to focus on two words, new birth, because here's the thing. We live in a culture right now when people hear the word new birth, they think it's something mystical, they think it's something crazy. Let me tell you, when the, when the, when, when the writer uses the words new birth, it's not something weird. It's not something like reincarnation. But what the writer is talking about is a new identity. Because when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you were born again. You were born again, listen to me, because your past doesn't define you. It's who you belong to that defines you. And you start to understand that because I have this new birth, because I'm a much-loved child of the Most High God, it's him who defines me. He defines who I am. He defines my worth. Because he's the one who gave his only son for me. The mirror doesn't define me. I have a new identity in Jesus Christ. As he made a staggering sacrifice for me. So what does that identity look like? What does a new identity look like? Well, I tell you, it means that your past doesn't define you. It means that no matter what you've done, you have to hold to the fact and believe that God can bring beauty out of ashes. Today, some of you feel encased by the things that are a part of your past. You came in here today feeling like you're in prison. But wouldn't it be great today for some of you to say, God, I need that. God, I want that new identity. Today's the day I want to invite Jesus Christ into my life to forgive me. I want the new birth that comes through your mercy and the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that can happen to, but today. And what an, an unbelievable day it would be if today is the day that you decide to invite Jesus Christ into your life. But you know, for, 
Many of you, you're not looking at the road behind you. Instead, you're looking at the road in front of you. Because the circumstances in your life have not turned out the way that you planned. And now you feel afraid and you feel powerless and you feel discouraged and you feel broken. And, and because of the circumstances in your life, you feel like you're walking into a fire. And if that's the case, you know what you need? You need a transformed perspective on your circumstances. See, one of the things I get every morning is a new perspective. I mean, I really do. I get a new perspective every morning because uh, I take off my glasses, the ones that I wear regularly, and uh, when I go to bed, I put those glasses on the nightstand in a baseball cap, and I sit them there. And, and, and can I tell you, the moment, like right now, everything in this room is just fuzzy to me. And that's the way it is at night. I take off my glasses, and I lose focus on everything. I can see stuff, but I can't see things good. I don't have a good perspective. And then what happens is the next morning I get up and I put on my glasses, and I get a transformed perspective. So I was thinking... What if you could get a transformed perspective? I mean, I mean, what would happen if I could give out a pair of glasses like this to everybody here in the auditorium and everybody watching and joining us online, and you could just now see things with a different perspective? Because that's what those two disciples needed. They're walking down that road discouraged, defeated, despondent, and they needed a new perspective. They needed hope for their circumstances. And isn't it amazing how this seven-mile walk with Jesus, followed by dinner, by breaking bread and by prayer, that it completely changed their perspective from what they had started out that day with. There's an interesting verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 23. Here's what it says. Be made new in the attitude of your minds. In other words, there's a new attitude of your mind. A new perspective that can come. And honestly, that new perspective can happen in two different ways. There, there's, there's an attitude of your mind that can come into your mind and steal your hope. There's an attitude in your mind that can come into you and lead to discouragement. But there's also an attitude of your mind that can lead to hope. I know I've used this analogy before, but it's appropriate. I'm going to use it again. Does anybody, uh, has anybody ever watched Winnie the Pooh? There's a hopeless character in Winnie the Pooh. What's his name? Eeyore. And when many of us look at your circumstances in your life right now, you know what you look at it through? Like Eeyore. You're just like Eeyore. You're looking through the circumstances of your life through Eeyore's lenses. Oh, it's just hopeless. And those lenses of Eeyore are destructive because they say two things. The first thing that those lenses of Eeyore say is my discouragement is going to last forever. It's just permanent. I mean, think about it. Do you ever look at your circumstances and think about your life that way? It's just going to be this way forever. My marriage will never get better. My depression is never going to live. My, my kids are never going to grow up. I'll never find another job ever. I'll never sell another house. I'll never get another raise. Oh, me. 
That's what I think was the mindset of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. They didn't see things getting any better. They didn't see the future getting any better, better or brighter. They looked at their circumstances and said, this is the way things are going to be permanently. They thought things were never going to change. But in a matter of seven miles, everything changed. And this morning, if you're someone who has grieved the death of someone you loved, then you know what I'm talking about. Because there was a time after you lost that person that you thought life was never going to get any better. This is permanent. And then one day, several months, maybe a year or two later, The joy returned. Your vision for life returned. And it wasn't permanent like you thought it was. A second thing our Eeyore mindset says is this. It's just going to undermine everything in my life. It's just terrible. It's pervasive. Let's say maybe that you ask someone out on a date. And that person that you ask out on a date, they actually turns you down. Well, some of you take that as pervasive. Well, I guess I'm just not good looking. I guess I'm not just attractive. I guess I'm so bad looking that nobody's ever going to be interested in me. But you know what? Maybe that's not the case. Maybe there really is an explanation why she turned you down. Maybe she really did have to floss her cat's teeth last night. And she couldn't go with you. You see the message of hope in the Bible? It's that no matter what Eeyore may say or what Eeyore may think, listen to me this morning, tough Circumstances don't last forever. And those circumstances don't have to pervade every aspect of your life. That's why I believe that Romans 8.28 is one of the most loved verses in the entirety of Scripture. Look at what Paul wrote. He says, and we know that in all things, all things, that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, now look, look, look at me right here. Does, does that say that all things are always going to be good? Is that what Paul said? No. Let me, let me just tell you this. There are a lot of bad things that happen in life. But we know that in all things that God works for good for those that love him. I mean, think about it this morning. God takes the worst things and turns them into the best things. I mean, I mean, we just look at Scripture and we can see that. He took the worst thing. He took the cross of Jesus Christ. He took the worst thing that ever happened in the history of the world. And he turned it into the best thing. God works all things for good. Does that include bankruptcy? Yes. Does that include divorce? Yes. Does that include suicide? Yes. Does that include illness? Yes. Does that include marriage problems? Yes. Does that include the loss of a loved one? Yes. Let me tell you this morning, they all work together for good. Two guys here in the Bible walking down this rocky seven-mile road, looking at what's behind them. 
looking at what's ahead of them, thinking there's no hope for them because they thought that Jesus was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And you know what they didn't realize? Hope was right there under their nose. They didn't realize literally that they were looking face to face with hope. And you know, this week as I prepared this message, there's one thing in my heart that I knew. I knew today, whether it's in this auditorium, at the 830 service or this service, look, oh, it did it again. Look here. It did the very same thing when I said this in the 830 service. I said this is going to be a special day for someone. There are lots of people in this auditorium listening, watching online that could say, my life didn't turn out the way that I thought it was going to. My life didn't turn out the way that I planned. You didn't turn out the way that you planned. You put your hope in finances. Because that's where you thought you should put your hope. You put your hope in achievement. Or you thought, you know, my hope will best be invested in relationships. You thought it was going to be any number of things. And today you realize, I put my hope in the wrong thing, in the wrong box. And now you realize, I need a new identity. I need a new birth. I need a new perspective on the circumstances that I'm in. I need to look at my circumstances through different lenses. And today, listen to me this morning, that is exactly what God is offering you. And I believe without any shadow of a doubt that God brought you to this moment today because He wants to save some of you. He wants to walk with you through whatever it is that you're going through. Today, He wants to give you a new perspective on your circumstances. And you know what? You can hear everything that I've said today. And let me tell you this morning, if you don't do anything with what I've said today, it's like you walked this seven-mile journey and you stopped at the six-mile. But you have to realize, it's a seven-mile journey if you're going to respond to God's offer. You have to take His hand and you have to trust Him with your new identity. You have to trust Him with a new perspective and a new mindset. So you know what I'm inviting you to do this morning? I'm inviting you to go the seventh mile. I'm inviting you this morning to say yes to Jesus Christ. Because you see, here's the thing. When those disciples, listen, 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 listen. When they completed those seven miles, it wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. And today could be a new beginning for you. Would you bow your head and pray with me, please? God, so many times we allow the circumstances of life to control us. We spend so much time looking behind and allowing ourselves to be defined by the past. We get so discouraged at looking what's in front of us and the road that we're going to have to walk, never realizing that you truly want to walk with us through our circumstances, that you sent your son to us just like he was with those disciples. 
And today you offer us what we need. You surround us with your spirit so that we can experience the freedom that was made available in the sacrifice on the cross. Maybe today, right where you are in this room, listening online, watching online, maybe you just need to pray a simple prayer. And maybe you say, God, today I take your hand. And I trust you for a new perspective. I trust you for that new identity, that new mindset that's made available in your son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross. And God, today I covet to turn from my ways, my sinful ways, and to look to you, to walk with me, and to give me the things I need. And let me just say this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's a decision that you make to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, we're offering baptism on the 31st of the month, the last Sunday, in either service. And that's your next step. Baptism. To publicly declare that you are Jesus and he is yours. So indicate that on a tear-off. Let, let, let me know that you want to be baptized. God, for the rest of us, let this be a reminder that even though circumstances sometimes don't turn out the way that we hope and pray that they will, that you will never leave us nor forsake us and that you will walk with us as we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Take his hand and go the entire way. That new perspective, that new identity, and that new mindset. As you leave today, we're going to ask you to leave that tear off with us that has your uh, personal information, your prayer request. Always leave your prayer request. Also, our guest service team will be at each door to take those. Drop your offering, whether that's cash or check, in the bucket as well. And you can give with your bank card at two giving kiosks in the lobby. Have a great day, and we'll see you back next week. See you this afternoon, and see you next week. Thank you.